The Football Show on Off The Ball. With Sky. Watch Premier League, Women's Super League, EFL, Scottish Premiership and much more. Live on Sky Sports. I'm prepared to end it if I can. Well, do it then. Do it then. What about your start to the game? I was, it wasn't bad, was it? <laughs> Why should there be an honest answer be a mistake? How can a modern day manager not have a mobile phone? Why should he? Now then, you're welcome along. Football Show. Dan McDonald of the Irish Independent is with us. He's a bit nervous. He's a bit on edge. It's International Week. This is when... Just he gets a little bit. He comes into his own, you know. Tapping the staff, Joe. Yeah, you know. Yeah, have to really like get a good breakfast in Oof. to start the days. We really just get a, get a real oomph in the morning. Just like, really just sort of approach it with purpose, you know. Yeah. Well, I know what put a bit of pep in your step. Politicians talking. Awesome. Oh. <laughs> Perfect perfect storm. The perfect storm. You know, it's it's always nice. I went to watch the Ireland under 20s play. They're playing on home farm last night because all the international teams are playing this week. So, a lot of interesting players involved in different age groups. Like, you know, Joe Hodge was playing last night for under 20s, who's sort of gone off the radar for the last two years. Um, So, you know, you get home and and you see the the Tonight Show and and Virgin are going to be discussing the Euros bid later on. You're thinking, oh, what could this be? I'll tell you what it was, Joe. It wasn't very good. Well, I w- it's so it's amazing that you said that because I was just going to say I was on Twitter last night and this was <laughs> where I could take the temperature of Dan McDonald. <laughs> so, 22, I was cold. I was 22 hours ago, you were, you were getting hot. Uh, so, Dan McDonald, some 22 hours ago, my version of the gates of hell. <laughs> okay. That's a start to a tweet. Consists of a panel of pol- politicos, but it's about to be politicians, politicos debating a major tournament bid. There's a Finnegale TD on the Tonight Show. Doesn't use his name. They're all the same. They all search themselves. They, yeah, probably, okay. they don't need you. They, they, want, they want the traffic, you know. There's a Finnegale TD all on the, same. the Tonight Show on about countries, as in other international teams, using regional LOI grounds as training bases. No, mate. <laughs> so passive-aggressive, mate. We're not mates. No, mate. They'll be using carton or photo, if they're even here at all. Yeah, that's probably a bit dismissive in the last line. I mean, 335 they, likes. Oh, well, there you go. People loved it, Dan. A lot of people were awake at that time, too. Do you know who the Finnegale TD was? Uh, it was Alan Farrell, yeah. Okay. Alan Farrell. I um, you know, I go, uh, mate. I saw my heart rate was going up. Actually, I genuinely <laughs> did look at my heart rate a few minutes later. I was like, oh my god, this is genuinely annoying me. Don't know what it is. I think it's just because, uh, like, there's there's just something for everyone in in these bits, you know. And it's almost as though, and it's fair enough. Like, you know, in in current affairs land, they're dealing with like a lot of serious issues, and they drop into maybe the, the sports stuff, and it's a little bit of a and finally type territory. And I do understand that, but obviously. Uh, like it's been well established for some time what this bid is going to be about. Um, that it's, it was only ever going to be a Croke Park or a Viva Stadium job, you know. And um, it was almost this: oh, what's the regional angle? Isn't this great? What's what's this going to bring to us? And I was like, well, no, it's going to be very limited scope in terms of that aspect of things. Now it's very possible. Um, you know, a couple of teams will stay here and stuff like that. That's absolutely fine. But I think. It's it's maybe you're watching. I think it was like Claire Brock presenting it, and I mean, she's just doing her job asking questions. But she's clearly looking to say, well, what? Where is the regional angle here? Like, what what might be happening? And I said, well, no, this this is going to be in Dublin. That's one of the. To be fair, I'm not in favour of the bid at all, really. But if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. So just get on with it. You know, like there's no point. 
you know, you have to sort of embrace it and sort of accept that this is going to be the case. Now, I know Russia and Turkey have thrown themselves into the, thrown their hat into the ring potentially. I don't see them as, as rivals to it. I still think this will probably, is probably going to happen now. But you sort of have to be realistic about what it's going to entail. It's going to entail some big matches taking place in Dublin and maybe some teams from the you know, from other countries might stay in some of the nice hotels that exist in Ireland similar to Real Madrid coming here or Premier League teams coming for pre-season it's not going to revolutionise or change anything you know, Could like, I ask then given that as you said it will be a Crow Park in the Aviva Stadium yeah. and isn't going to cost a huge amount of money to host in comparison with trying to do a, bu- a bunch of stadiums or put in various bits of infrastructure and given that they're saying there's potential for 150,000 visitors 600 million spent and the Irish public get to be part of the tournament and go and see some matches. Why object to that? Well, what's, I what's think the, the strongest objection was that based on. Well, I think okay. I think first of all, there there still is there's 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 the fear that this is going to be a massive focus and time and energy in the coming years that will be better spent working on other things. Now, as I said, I think it's, I think it's interesting that, that some of these figures, like Jack Chambers was speaking yesterday about, you know, the return to investment being four to one, um, you know, whatever, like from 50 to 80 million, I think, you know, and security and various costs, but you could have, now I know sometimes these economic estimates and figures and stuff like that can all be a bit sort of, you know, they're round figures and they're round figures that are thrown there. Um, but you have a situation where like, there's badly needed government investment in football at the moment. It's been a problem over a long period of time. Um, there's discrepancies with, say, you know, betting tax and, and state funds that go into, say, horse racing and the greyhound industry. Don't necessarily, football don't see any of it. We're now talking about a football event coming to the shores that looks like it could generate a lot of money potentially for the exchequer. So the question is, is the game actually going to see anything back from this? Or is it just going to be an exercise where football, like football's history with with politics in this country, is that it's a great thing for people to get on board for a couple of weeks at a time, maybe every couple of years in the summer. Like you look back through the history of Euro 88 and Italia 90, where you see, be it Charlie or Bertie later on, where everyone gets on board this for a couple of weeks. But at the time, there was no sort of constructive investment in the game. So it's it's not so much that there's maybe an opposition to doing it. Maybe that's the wrong way to phrase it. It's just more so not viewing it as particularly important or something to celebrate or get excited about because we've seen a we've seen this exist in a, in a version before where people latch onto it for a while. They talk in vague terms about, well, this this will be great for the game, it'll be great for the country, but nothing happens. And and in fairness, what I actually think has happened this time, uh, I actually like the fact that even Stephen Kenny yesterday we might hear some of that um, but Jack Chambers is on it's not as if they're the, the, the official figures Jonathan Hill has encountered this it's not as if they're getting the sort of the green flag waving like everyone has been asked to examine and question whether this bid is a good thing that's been the discourse from the start I think there's an acceptance that if you know we are in a situation whereby for example uh, for this to happen the, there will be upgrades of Krog Park you have a situation where you know funds will be used to again upgrade what is a top class facility owned by an organisation that has most of the top class facilities in the country meanwhile you know people who go to games or train here regularly are you know 
sort of going to the toilets in the dark or whatever, you know, and all the comments that Damien Duff has pointed out. So there's a certain irony for this to happen. You might see, well, we need to put more money into yeah, GEA funds. So as I said, like, this is where that comes from. This is where the backlash comes from. It comes from a world weariness of seeing this before. And, and then you have like panel debates where someone just comes on and starts going about, well, you know, they could train in regional League of Ireland grounds because that's probably something that's on a briefing document somewhere that sounds good. You know, because of course, what the, you know, when you get politicians madly involved with this, and I, I do get the sense that government have been big on this, um, possibly even more so than the FAI, like government have been strongly pushed this the slight fear is well it's only happening in Dublin so we need to get it out there that there could be some kind of regional thing like there's a there's been a monster centre of excellence in Glanmire that was shovel ready in 2019 you know the shovels shovels are are, 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 are sort of they've expired now you know all these projects around the country that sit there and do nothing but when you can talk about a tournament years down the line oh yeah we'll have, we'll have all this sort of stuff happening so that's where it comes from and I think sometimes people portray people who have uh, scepticism around this bit of uh, like sort of uh, typical sort of League of Ireland people complaining or you know there's a, there's a desire for top class sport in this country so you know why can't we have that and want this that's fine but the whole point of people kicking up a fuss is saying don't take the eye off the ball on this stuff any way through it and just sort of blindly celebrate oh it's going to be great to have this tournament here mm. I think throughout and I said I think this is happening and I don't think people will uh, I think there's enough voices now sort of raising this point that I'm not sure if they're necessarily going to get away with sort of um this being some sort of party that we, we get invested in for a couple of weeks and we move on. I think all the way up, you know, I think, you know, when there's events, 2025, 20, 26, draws, launches, you know, all the stuff that'll happen. I think there will be questions all the way through. Well, how are we getting on with some of your legacy projects here? Like, what's actually happening? And I think that's a good thing, okay. personally. No, all fair points. Stephen Kenny naturally asked about this in his press yeah. conference in advance of the Belgium game on Saturday. So the question, in effect, is, I suppose, to what extent investment in hosting a Euros is in conflict with developing grassroots football across the country. He heard your answer and he thought to himself, oof, to be, points. to be fair, like you know, Stephen Kenny is prone to silence in, <laughs> in an answer, so that may not have, that could have been uh, reflective of it. Like it was, it was a question that did come up. To be fair, very early in the day. Yeah, we'll come back to it because the lads will find the audio in a second. So, just to bring you up to speed with where we are on Euro twenty to twenty eight. Generally, today was the deadline for national football associations to confirm their interest or not in hosting the event. And generally, as I understood it in the morning, generally accepted that the path was clear for Ireland and the British countries to host 2028. There was no rival bid, or so we thought, Dan. The word had been that the Italians were focused on 2032. Turkey were bowing out. And then as the afternoon progressed, Turkey bowed back in and Russia in, I presume, a play at high farce through their hat into yep. the ring. So the Russian FA officials said it was highly likely that they would contest either 2028 or Euro 2032, one of them. So the RFU plans uh, submitting bids to host the UEFA Euro Cup Championship 2028, 2032 is not a joke, said RFU official Rustem Semenov. Never great when you're having to deny that your bid is a joke as a starting point. Yeah. He then said, and you'll forgive the rough translation, naturally, Ukraine was brought up. The small matter of the insanity ongoing in Ukraine. He said to that, the life goes on. 
the life goes on we are ready and open we must not be closed for UEFA and FIFA we've already hosted numerous tournaments we'll be bidding and I presume there's an ample amount of time the situation will change and we'll consider all the details thoroughly uh, that phrase the life goes on I mean not in Ukraine right now was the obvious retort so uh, presumably they're throwing their hat in the ring knowing that it will be dismissed with some vigour but they want to maintain the pretense that they're a functioning state or maybe they're just trolling everybody I don't know either way I'm not especially worried about the Russian chances No I wouldn't be concerned about that I mean there is just a game being played there and we know what's happening I mean Turkey Turkey are sort of a serial uh, bitter or prospective bitter and they don't really seem to get anywhere with it um, you would assume they'll get one at some stage but uh, I would think this is this might slow down the process of ratification um, but I don't see it being an obstacle to it Stephen Kenny has considered the question and is now ready to answer once again to what extent investment in hosting a Euros in this country is in conflict with developing grassroots football across the country I don't necessarily think they're conflicting. I would say that um, the infrastructure in football in this country is nowhere near the level that needs to be and you know, needs serious government investment. And I think the Taoiseach has acknowledged that and, and said publicly that he wants to invest in academies in Ireland. And uh, you know, I know that there is programmes for clubs to try and increase the infrastructure because we're way behind your, the rest of Europe in relation to stadium facilities. You know, we're way behind, you know, in this country. And I think that's, we know that, but I don't see that necessarily as being conflicting with hosting Euro 28. Uh, you know, they're, they're two, they're, they're two, uh, you know, I, I don't see that. I think government funding for infrastructure and maybe, like, ultimately the Euro 28 is a money generator, isn't it, for the economy. I'm not. I don't know what's involved in the finance. I actually have no idea what it's costing or how much it is. I wouldn't. I wouldn't know. Um, but certainly, uh, so I'm not qualified to speak in in, in regard to the, the exact figures involved. But um, personally, I don't see it as a negative, and I think it's good for people who want to see, uh, you know, a major tournament and be part of big events like that and fill it and. I think uh, Ireland wants to be part of that as well and we want to be, we'd like, ideally we want to be there. Being honest, I'm not sure where the money is coming from, whether it comes from FAI coffers or whether it comes from various uh, government departments and so forth. So I'm not certain of that. So I'm not, I don't have the details of that nor have I had any discussions about that, you know. So I can, cannot be certain about that. But ultimately, I, I don't see having a Euro 28 um uh, it essentially would be in Dublin obviously the Aviv or, or Crow Park unfortunately it's nowhere else in Ireland but in you know in it essentially be in Dublin but I don't necessarily see it as conflicting I think it's uh, I think it'd be a positive to have um, I'm not a spokesman for this you know I, I, I don't even really consider it at length I'm not I'm not I'm not I'm not speaking for it. you just ask me an opinion okay and I'm not I'm not at all involved in it in any shape or form, but I think um, uh, if you if you ask me opinion, and I'm not aware of the exact financial details, uh, but I don't see it as being in conflict. Uh, I see it as the Euro 28 as an opportunity to have big uh, big events in Ireland, big big football events. We as Ireland want to be part of that, and that would be special for the country if we were. And in a situation like that, um, 
because the previous ones would have been COVID and empty stadiums and all that. So going forward, it would be it would be special to have that in the country. Um, how we divide the finance, I haven't I got I haven't got the specifics on that. So I don't know. You know, I think the upgrading of infrastructure is a different argument. I think Stephen Kenny there. I have to say, I think I'd pretty much agree with him word for word and all of that it strikes me and you made some very good points some really strong points but it strikes me that come 2028 whether Ireland is part of this hosting or not is irrelevant really to the development of football in this country so say we host it say we don't host it if there's a genuine will to either develop facilities and football in this country or if there's not then that's where we're going to be and this does seem separate to that and the money will largely be from state coffers it seems it's not like the FAI are paying for this and there will be a return I don't know I don't, this is different to well we're building three stadiums to try and host the Euros yeah I mean but look I've always made the point that I'm not like you're not opposed to the concept of having a great tournament here like people talking about it's going to inspire loads of people and stuff like that and you know that may be the case I don't think that is the case I, I, I mean I think that's waffle right personally um, it'd be great for, for people the, the lucky few can probably pay like really really expensive sure. you know how many kids are going to be going like you know um, you wait for prices but to me I've always made the case I'd love to see Ireland go for an under 21 European Championships there was talk ironically probably in Delaney years about a cross border bid with the with the with the North for an under 21 championships I thought that would be brilliant I thought that would be terrific you see some of the best young players you know some of the top teams in Europe but also a real excuse to upgrade a lot of your small to medium sized facilities sure. and I think that would be a dual purpose but you know that's not as exciting really like you're not necessarily going to get Leinster House briefings on an under 21 European championship but you do want one of the biggest sports events in the world see what you're saying there is when you're talking there about like whether it's going to happen or not, but if there's a scenario where the where it's this isn't going to happen, right? Then I then I want nothing to do with this at all. You know that makes it worse. There's actually no plans to upgrade infrastructure, but we're going to pr- pursue this. I think now you have to try and use it as an opportunity to to sort of drive forward with it. You know, and I think that's that's part of the thinking. Like 2028 is so far away, and this is one of my other things as well that that it becomes a real focus of well, we've got Euro 2028, 20, and in every 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 you know every strand launch or discussion it's like well we have this big thing coming over the horizon it's going to be some pot of gold or something whatever it may not be like stuff needs to happen in the next 6 to 12 18 months like really crucial pivotal stuff and it does require good relationships with the state with the government to make this happen and it's possible you know that from the FEI perspective there's an element that if the government are strong on this and wanting to do this then you, you go in with it and it might help you with some of your other aims and that's a very glass half full take on on the whole picture um, so it's not just a case of being negative about it for the sake of it or anything like that or wanting to, to like deny people the chance to have this tournament because a lot of us experience misery on a regular, regular basis and that's it's not like that it's just a case of the danger that it becomes this massive distraction that diverts away that we have this thing coming in 2028 like if there's things aren't done in this country before 2028 like we're not going to be participating in these tournaments ourselves, you know, over the longer run, and that probably is more important. Forty-eight thousand tickets sold for the Belgium game, Lithuania on Tuesday. I think we're up to thirty-three thousand tickets sold. John Eustace has been announced; he's the new Anthony Barry. Thirteen mm. months on from Anthony Barry's unveiling, forty-two years of age. He's the QPR assistant manager. Played for Coventry, Stoke, Watford, Derby. Twenty-year playing career. Wasn't. 
uh, Rolls Royce career there for you to drop down the divisions to get a start in management seemed to do very well and is now 42 years of age and has worked his way up to QPR who do play a 3-4-2-1 which Stephen Kenny yeah. said was important uh, what Kenny said of the appointment was my own relationship with him would be the main reason and his reputation as good coach I've watched videos of all his sessions I've watched him at length and studied his coaching style he's a student of the game thinks about the game we did quite a few video sessions together before he came on board we interacted in relation to how they train what his ideas are he's thought provoking he challenges some concepts so he's interesting I feel he's a really good person as well and he'll bring a humility to the group I think he'll do a good job were Kenny's points and he seemed to develop a relationship with him when he was going to West Brom games in particular to see Malumbi and Darrow Shea and Callum Robinson and uh, Eustace lives in the area so they uh, formed a bond over coffees and after Anthony Barry described it as a no-brainer to go to yeah. Belgium <laughs> didn't soften that one for us at all he was doing it for the Belgian press and he didn't realise <laughs> like you know to be fair though I mean it's tough to leave Ireland it was a no-brainer <laughs> well I think to be fair even when Kenny has asked, spoken about Anthony Barry. I think there's a pragmatism there that like, he got the chance to work with the number one team in the world in a World Cup year, a team that potentially could win it or certainly go all the way. I think deep down people probably understand. If he was Irish and had said that, it might be a different feeling. But I mean, he's, you know, he's English, he has no attachment with the country here. So it's not as if he's sort of turning his back on his, the team he dreamed of one day representing in some shape or form. It's business, Joe. He wouldn't have taken much now to soften that a touch. Yeah, but it's come back via the Belgian media. Maybe he said other stuff and we don't we haven't heard it. I couldn't get out of there quick enough. Absolute <laughs> no-brainer. I couldn't believe it when the call yeah, came from the Belgians. You know, who knows? Who knows? So, do we know much beyond about John Eustace? No, I mean, it's it, no, you've you've sort of covered the main points there. Like he I think certainly the indications were from the start when when Barry left that Kenny was looking for someone sort of at a similar profile you know potentially active at the moment like we were out watching the, some of the training session on Monday now it's quite closed we see bits and bobs this week but like Anthony Barry from what I gather was very active on the training pitch and Eustace was out there from the start the other day in the middle of it and I think you know there's Kenny's big on maybe a smaller staff but very defined roles mm-hmm. and I think even when he when he appointed Damien Duff he liked the idea of Duff was at Celtic at the time appointing someone for that role who was working in the game right now week on week is preparing you know for, for big matches and operating sort of you know seeing how strategies and stuff play out and sort of on top of maybe modern trends or whatever might be happening so I think when but then they went for Barry again who was to be fair like you know a really a grade up in the sense of what he was involved with at Chelsea yeah. I think they were always going to go for someone who was of that ilk rather than say go for maybe an ex-international who was out of work or uh someone like that you know who did a point full time I think the job share active coach was the way to go the slight risk is I mean Eustace is one of these people that seems to be in football his name is 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 sort of he's been thrown in there for jobs like he was meant to go to Swansea last year uh, you know getting a good job in the championship um, so I mean it's it's plausible he may get a, a no-brainer offer at some stage in the next year and then people will say oh he's lost another staff member um, but clearly that's the risk he's decided to take rather than maybe going for someone that, that no one else wants yes yeah, you know exactly. what I mean so like it's a bit of a yeah. it's a trade-off here if you go for like young in-demand coaches they might leave you no fair point our football show coverage is brought to you by Sky all the football you love in one place across Sky Sports BD Sport and Premier Sports Paul Pogba's done an extremely interesting interview and it turns out as well Miguel Delaney was talking to Mick Clegg who was the Manchester United power development trainer and it seems Roy Keane desperately wanted to bring Mick Clegg to 
Saipan and the World Cup in 02 and brought it to Mick McCarthy seven, eight weeks out from the tournament. And Mick said, no, I don't know him. And mm. uh, Keane seething, apparently. So he's done a really interesting interview about all that. So we'll bring you some of those pieces in just a moment. Back with Dan McDonald next. Welcome back. Joe Malloy here. Dan McDonald here as well from the Irish Independent. The Paul Pogba interview, you haven't... No, I've been this. in my own little world, so it's no. Okay. France are playing Ivory Coast, South Africa, friendlies. So a couple of things going on with Pogba. Primarily, I suppose, he revealed that his World Cup medal has been stolen recently. There was a burglary at his home. Incredibly frightening. He called it his family's worst nightmare. His house was broken into while his children were asleep in their bedroom. And this happened, and we've seen this before with numerous footballers. Uh, The perpetrators obviously know that if there's a match on... He's away. He's likely to be at it. So this was Tuesday. Pogba was playing against Atletico Madrid at Old Trafford. And the children were at home with their nanny. And a couple of thieves broke in. Pogba says they've robbed us of our sense of safety and security, which I'd say they have. Anyone who's had their home broken into, it's very difficult to settle again Mm. after something like that. So he was talking to the keep. He said uh, they stole the safe. There were jewels from my mother, my World Cup medal. Uh, What scared me most was that my two children were at home and the nanny as well during the incident. Uh, She overheard everything. She called my wife in security and then she locked herself with the boys in a room. For several days, she was shocked. The main thing is that my children are well. So horrendous yeah. experience for the Pogba. Yeah, like um, I mean, that is the thing. As you say, like the footballers do, there are sort of countless examples of them being targeted, and yeah, and, yeah the higher profile you are, the sort of the greater the target that, that might exist upon them. And it often unsettles uh, families. I seem to remember. I think Di Maria had a similar experience. Yeah, and like they're not robots, you know. Like you know, I know, and like I'm not saying that it, like, this happened recently. So I mean, there's been a lot of bad displays and performances and and questionable stuff from Pogba prior to all of this, you know. Sure. But I, I sometimes wonder with some of these, like the the higher profile characters, like the amount of stuff they still have the same brain and and sort of you know pers- potential for weakness and and to be distracted as anyone else mm. like just because you're paid more doesn't mean you're more focused or tuned in and this is the thing like you know they're they're vulnerable to a lot of the same fears and anxieties that other people are and mm. they're probably you know by 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 the email, like the fact that he is such a he has so much going on with himself you kind of wonder you can understand maybe sometimes why he's a bit can be a bit distracted he then uh, spoke to le figaro and reflected on his five plus years at Old Trafford. He's now 29 years of age, Pogba. So, the, I mean, we've probably seen the best of him, whatever the best of him was at 29. 29, yeah. Yeah. 19, yeah. And so he's speaking about his time at Manchester United, in particular this season, but he talks about the whole five seasons. And it's pretty, t- <laughs> I mean, he's not really reflecting on what he might have done better. So he says, you have to be honest, my five years don't satisfy me. Not at all. This year it's dead. We won't win anything. Uh, whether it's with Manchester or another club, I want to win trophies. And so then came the obvious question. You seem to play very well for France. Less so at Old Trafford. It's simple. With the Blues, I play. And in addition, I play in my position. I know my role. I feel the confidence of the coach, the players. It's normal to feel this difference with Manchester because it's hard to be consistent when you often change position you change the game system or your partners. With Didier Deschamps, we get along very well. He gave me a role that I know, but at Manchester United, do I really have a role? I ask the question and I don't have the answer. 
It's well put. <laughs> he basically just said, I've been mismanaged for the five years. It's been... But it is one of the things I find, like, you watch Manchester United, they don't... Like, what is the identity of that team? Like, how do they play? How do you Bruno. describe them? Yeah, well, like how, do, like, how do you describe them? And I suppose... Individuals. No, at times, I mean, the expectation was that they rely on great players to do great things. And Pogba, being a great player, they probably look at him... To, to to be to to rise above all of that and just take control of games, but was that always the thing about his time at Juventus that they actually had a quite uh, settled structure and he had a role within it? Yeah. And yes, because of the force of his personality, he was like to the fore of any coverage of that team, and he is a star. But actually, you know, he had other players around him that, that complemented him. And it's easy to and forget is like that he was well. exceptional for France during the season. Ah, like, but I, I mean. He was. I mean, the 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 game where they were knocked out, ironically, was was Switzerland, wasn't it? Yeah. Like he celebration was maybe not great. No, but it, the level of his play ah. was was exceptionally good. He is a know? different player, and that's what that like it does suggest that the general mismanagement, uh, like chaos at Manchester United is, is affected him because he's a different player and he's not just oh he was a different player several years ago or a different player at that World Cup it's every time he plays for France and it's every time he plays for Manchester United he's then asked by the interviewer it's a very good interview really uh, have you ever suffered with depression and he says completely and several times during my career I've been through it but we don't talk about it sometimes you don't even know you have depression you just want to be isolated uh, to be alone these are all unmistakable signs from a personal perspective that started when I was with Jose Mourinho at Manchester. You ask yourself, is there something wrong with you because you've never experienced these moments in your life before? Of course, we earn lots of money. We don't complain, really. But that doesn't prevent you from going through these moments in your life, like the whole world, uh, which are more difficult than others. One is judged as a footballer every three days. You have to be good all the time, although we have worries like everyone else, whether that's with our partners, our coach, our everyday life. Of course, we feel it in our bodies, in our heads, and you can have a month, even a year where you're not great, but you can't say it publicly. And he revealed that he speaks with uh, former players like Patrice Evra and a psychiatrist to alleviate these feelings. So that's Paul. Well, I didn't. I didn't actually. I didn't know he was going to go down that road when I was speaking previously. It's funny you said that. Yeah. Yeah, but I think that's I said. Like you can have superhuman talents, but you still have the same sort of potential issues. You know, with the, with confidence in the mind or whatever, than as anyone else. You know, and as I said, I. I, I often just like you see some of the stuff that's gone with Rashford or whoever it might be. I think even now for the for the more s- social media active generation of players, they're, they're exposed to so many thoughts and opinions and stuff that it can only have a I'm not going to say depressive, but like it can only have it can I can definitely corrosive. see how it can have a yeah, corrosive impact on them, and I, you can't avoid it because a lot of them, to be fair, it's not like it's a hard drinking sort of you know out all the time sort of Monday club sort of mentality now a lot of the time they are like particularly good professionals in terms of how they mind themselves and their bodies and their athletes so they're probably sitting in a lot of the time you know and what do you do it's, it's, it's well and good externally to say oh they should just block themselves and stay off social media or whatever it's probably hard you probably don't do a huge amount else mm. you know and, and of course their feelings are going to be the same Eric Ten Hag was in Manchester on Monday so he was interviewed at Old Trafford 52 years of age his managerial career is only 10 years old at this stage as we know he's been at Ajax since 2017 really it's that Champions League semi-final run of 2019 that's elevated Eric Ten Hag uh, before Ajax would you know where he's been? I didn't I don't now to be honest I, I, 
Not many would. He's been at Go Ahead Eagles. Yeah. Bayern Munich 2. Between us, their reserve team. Alain yeah. Madrid and Barcelona having reserve teams in the lower leagues of uh, German football. So Bayern Munich 2 and Utrecht. That's his career. Mm. And it's in, like his stock is hot right now. Pochettino's is dipping. Uh, Gary Neville put up a poll on Twitter. And polling is increasingly difficult Likes concept poll, across yeah. the uh, board, Dan. But you would think Gary Neville has a lot of Manchester United uh, followers. So he asked Twitter, Pochettino or Ten Hag? 82% Ten Hag. Yeah. How many of these fans have watched 20 IX matches? See, I think about Ten Hag, like, is there a danger that people, they, they like the idea of the candidate as opposed to knowledge of the actual candidate yeah. but that's the same like if you were to if, if, if Gary Neville put out a poll saying like I don't know I'm trying to think as an example who would you rather Manchester United to sign and you pick some sort of run of the mill English player and some maybe not that well known Portuguese player who looks brilliant on YouTube like a lot of people will, will go towards what they don't know mm. you know and I think there's an element of that like Pochettino has been exposed to some public disappointments now um, and I'm not saying to Nagas maybe he could be he could be brilliant but I think it's just classic sort of thing it's like um, you know the, the there's something exciting about the idea of someone from Ajax coming in it sounds like this is exactly what you want. There's a text um, in saying Ten Hag's the hot young thing though, who's two years older than. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, he hasn't he hasn't been knocking around the circuit for a while. No. you know, he hasn't he hasn't been on Monday Night Football or anything like that. So yeah. you don't know what his he has a mystique is. right now. The mystique is the best thing he's going from. He interviewed for the Spurs job last year, but his English apparently was very poor, and they decided not to go with him. Whereas he has improved his English uh, subsequently. So he was at Old Trafford, but they plan to interview. Pochettino and several others. It seems quite public how it's all playing out, oh, isn't it? I know. They're, they're, they're clearly briefing about some of this, like that these interviews are... You would have thought even that would cause problems for him in his job at the moment. I would have thought so. Arguably, they're doing things in an official, proper way. They don't understand you're meant to tap people up. Pochettino's <laughs> yeah, like also a PSG, I want to think about it. I'm not sure to what extent these things are. Like, I hope Ten Hag hasn't told Ajax on Monday, oh, I've got a family issue. No, they're yeah. acting like this is like a normal business where you interview people publicly or yeah, openly. Yeah. This, that's not how football works. Uh, Mick Clegg, uh, father of Michael Clegg, who did play briefly for Manchester United, by the way. So Mick Clegg was the power development trainer at Manchester United. He's spoken to Miguel Delaney. He has a new book out. Did you know about any of this? Uh, no, as in about the Saipan yeah. stuff. No, I mean, I, I knew who he was and yeah. all of that, but no, not this. Now, this is, I think in fairness to Miguel, he did flag it as a as a new Saipan angle. I mean, we're coming into 20, I mean, we are in that dangerous 20-year anniversary territory. I mean, I, I could slag it off, but I'll probably end up doing stuff on a 20-year oh, anniversary. I'm taking that week off work. Well, I mean, what week? You're going to have to take a whole month off, Joe. How are you going to manage that one? God. You know, so we are in that, but you, I, new information is definitely something that everyone would like to get. Well, get some new information from somewhere. Bloody interesting. So Mick Clegg seemed to really hit it off with Roy Keane and had a big effect on Roy Keane. So it seems that Keane felt Clegg's approach was so distinctive that he could help develop Ireland into a, quote, small SAS unit ready to, quote, strike fear. I want you to come and train myself and some of the other players I've talked to, Keane told Clegg. Uh, we want your work with us because we feel it would be really good for the team to have somebody like you as a motivator too. We're a small unit, but we can come out and really surprise people. I want you with me. I need you with me. 
is how Clegg tells the story from Keane's perspective. McCarthy did not feel the same way. No, he tells Keane. I don't know him. He's not coming. He's not part of the, of the team. And that, and that was that. Keane, in the words of Clegg now, was, quote, seething. And who knows to what extent that contributed to Roy Keane's general mood and I can see why McCarthy, if that was the case, why McCarthy, like McCarthy is all about well this is the group like didn't he they had the sort of the familiar figures around the, the camp and it was just six weeks staff. out six weeks seven yeah I can out, see you know. why there would so be uh, an objection to it uh, Clegg talked about Keane generally though maybe that was every bit as interesting he was absolutely brilliant when you see people change because he was making the point Keane had one of the higher body fat percentages mm. for a long time he was brilliant when you see people change uh, you also see a change in their mentality that's what happened with Roy you could almost say he reinvented himself as a player his body fat level went down to 5.5% at its best which is very very low but perfect for a midfield player he was very power based attack attack which is why he loved doing the boxing it all helped hone him made him more sharp more aggressive he was really good to work with and he says the keen getting so lean and so fit had this effect right across the dressing room Uh, so he said Roy maintained control. He kept people in order. You have to have somebody like that in a change room. And certainly at that time, when the players went into the gym, they knew Roy was very pro what I did. So he made it really easy for me to work in the gym. All the players wanted to do it because on a playing and training level, Roy was the man. Everyone bought into it because Roy said it was good. So it all passed down to Beckham, but Yapstam. Ruud van Nistelrooy, magnificent. The most marvellous mind ever when it came to understanding who he is, what he is and what he could do. Nemanja Vidic was a marvel to train. I was honoured. Roy wanted me on the pre-season tour. The gym became a centre. It was a marvellous time. So, very interesting stuff. Yeah. I mean, Keane definitely, the, you can see from the shape of Keane. Oh, like it's it, carved from stone. But but not not the case in the mid to late 90s. Oh, sorry, the mid back. to late 90s he was chubby. Yeah, he really was. You know, and I know a lot of that was lifestyle related effectively and he's, I think he said as much, mm. you know. Um, and he, but, but it's by the time he got to the end, like... I think he went from being super lean to almost gaunt a bit at times. You know what I mean? It, it did feel like he put his body through a lot. But as he said to he Gary Neville, there himself. was a story. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like his he, iron levels were so low he couldn't play a match. Yeah, like and you can see it. You can see some of the footage of him in his last year, and even when he went to Celtic that time. You know, it, it's just it was almost unnatural. But make it's perfectly logical in terms of how he explained. I'd forgotten about that interview actually. Yeah, where he did go down that road. Yeah, I'm out of time, so I'll just give you one last quick quote. This was interesting. Naturally, Ronaldo comes up, transformation in the gym, all that stuff. But I thought the more interesting observation, and I hadn't heard this observation on Ronaldo from anyone, actually, from anyone. So Clegg here says that Ronaldo was perceived as wasteful for a chunk of his Manchester United career. But he said, you can see how it came together for him. Some players practice something and then they take it into a game. And if it doesn't work, they never use it again. Cristiano would practice something. Then he would take it into training games. Then he would take it into a game against teams at the bottom of the league and he would hone his skills there. He wouldn't use it in the big games against Chelsea until he was confident with it. And he never ever lost confidence he could make whatever he was working on work. That's why he got so many people shouting at him, he's this, he's that. No, he was working on an apprenticeship. It was about working towards perfection. Mm. Really interesting. It is actually, yeah. I've never heard it put that way, as you said. It's sort of a very calculated progression. I'll do it against West Brom. I'm not going to do it next week against Chelsea until it's ready. And then, Mm. boom. Uh, We've got to take a short break. You're welcome back to the football show. So some final thoughts, Tom McDonnell. On Saturday, sellout for Belgium. How much of a B team is this? Kevin De Bruyne out, Lukaku out. Anyone with more than 50 caps is not here. Okay. Basically, so yeah, like Hazard, Lukaku. Sorry, Torgan Hazard is here, but um, Eden is not. 
you know, Vermeulen, um, for Tongan, you know, like a, a lot of those sort of better known players, but they still have, you still look at their squad and it's like, well, it's still like Tielemans from Leicester is there. They've got Benteke and Origi in the striking department. Jeremy Doku, who's really exciting, would have been here in the under-17 finals a couple of years ago. Um, and he's 19 at the moment, playing in France. He's going to be a big name. In, the, in years to come, you look at that and say, yes. So, so there's a couple of exciting young players there, um, but it's not sort of household name Belgium. Um, so like it's it's sort of it's a strange one because I actually think the Irish team now is is reasonably settled. You have an idea what to expect from them. Whereas maybe this Belgian team, while it is the number one ranked side in the world, they may not necessarily as a collective have played together before. Mm. You know, without these sort of leading light figures that they can turn to, these sort of talismanic figures they can turn to in games. So um they're still naturally favourites to win and all of that, but um, it feels like this is a game that Ireland are going to be really invested in whereas for Belgium it's just one little building block towards a year that's peaking in December Yeah, November, December you know this is a major milestone in there no not at all not at all I mean I'm sure they want to stay top of the rankings they don't want to be losing games you know for no reason but it's not something that's a big thing for them whereas you just get the sense that Ireland are going to be really properly invested in sure it, any glaring know? absentees for Ireland from the squad I mean I, I think probably the if everyone was available, the two players who would be in contention to start that aren't there, you know, Adam Eda's out, Enda Stevens isn't, he's only coming back from injury. He dropped Jamie McGrath completely because he's gone to Wigan and he hasn't been playing, which is he's taken a quite assertive step on that. But otherwise, it's pretty close. You know, there's a couple of players you know, that have been in squads that aren't there, but I think it'd be quite close to a, you know, a strongest team. You know, um, so you're going to see like you know Ogbené will obviously be involved. It's that sort of how they work out the front department because you'll have Ogbené, Callum Robinson. The last game, people may remember, was against Luxembourg, where Jason Knight came off the bench and completely turned the game, the three nil win, where Knight came off the bench and was involved in all of the goals. So will that be the front three on Saturday, um, or do you try and bring in someone like Will Keane, maybe, who's been doing very well this season for uh, for Wigan? as a more sort of traditional striker so there's just a couple of little issues there but you've got Shane Duffy John Egan Seamus Coleman Matt Doherty James McLean like that could be your back five Um, so it's quite a sort of experience sort of team you know so um, but I think hopefully it'll be a good contest you know and Belgium can be a quite good side to watch there look at the games they've involved in can be quite high scoring at times so hopefully there's a liberation from their side rather than some kind of pressure I don't think there should be really Okay very good Dan McDonald of the Irish Independent thanks for coming in appreciate it Dan The football show on Off the Ball is brought to you by Sky all the football you love in one place across Sky Sports BT Sport and Premier Sports tomorrow morning OTBAM as usual from half past seven Owen and Johnny presenting Ocean McC Conville will be on and Ross Hamilton will be on as well talking all things rugby and then 7 o'clock on the radio as usual John Giles former Ireland captain Kira Griffin joins us as well on the Six Nations show which will play out on the show tomorrow night as well and more besides in the meantime Tom Dunn on the way <laughs>